And church, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 23 um, in your scripture journals if you have them or your Bible if you brought it. If you didn't bring a Bible, this won't be on the screen, so get out your phone for the Bible app or grab a Bible. They're every other row in those baskets. We're continuing in our journey through Acts. I just want to do a quick check. Who still has their Acts scripture journals? Okay. How, how many of you all have them with you? Yeah. Amber and Rose were the first ones to throw their hand up, and I'm like, I don't think they actually have them. Throw your hand up that quick. I did see some uh, scripture journals go up. That's great. I think we still have a few. They're in the uh, book cart. It's now been moved to the uh, office. You can grab that um, after service if you would like. That's our gift to you. It's got scripture on one side and a complete blank page for you to take notes and journal in. As you all are turning to Acts 23, I just want to say happy Father's Day to all you uh, dads. Um, and also, one thing that we do on, on Mother's Day is we recognize a lot of the hurt. So uh, Mother's Day is, is a, it's a tough time for those who've wanted children and maybe couldn't have them or have experienced loss. Um, the same goes for dads. It, it's tough because uh, when we come together as, as one, we want to be fruitful and multiply. And when we can't do that, something feels off and it, and it hurts. It hurts for both of us and for us men trying to hopefully love on our wives and care for them through that hurt. Uh, we also want to acknowledge um, it's difficult, so um, we hear you and we pray for you, weep with you, and we rejoice with you in the times of rejoicing. Um, but we do have donuts. Uh, dads, if you didn't get them before service, it's fair game to the kids and the ladies after service. There's plenty to go around uh, in the cafe on your way out. Um, one of the things, uh, as, a, as a dad, though, uh, I just wanted to share because I was thinking about it. It's like, I've got two daughters, and I always wanted a son. I probably didn't want a son for the same reasons other guys did, like, ah, I'm going to carry on the name, like, ah, it's a Meadows name, like, whatever. Uh, a lot of terrible people along the lineage, so a change of name wouldn't be bad, right? Like, we, we can change it up. We'll go, uh, we'll become uh, God's Israelite people, just forget the Gentile past, and we'll just move on, or forget the Israelite past, we'll just move on, right? Like, change of name. I, I thought having a son would be cool because my dad picked on me a lot, right? Like, in a good way, he picked on me. Um, one of the things was those, like, little tykes plastic basketball hoops, right? You all know what I'm talking about. How many of you all have had one of those? All right. How many of you all have had one of those and had your dad swatch you every time you went to go lay it up? Right, me. Uh, me too, Bill. We had it in the hallway, right? We had, like, this weird square hallway in the bed. We had a bedroom, bathroom, bedroom, little wall, and that's where we'd put the little tykes. And it was, so it was my room, basketball hoop, my brother's room. And I'd always go up, and I'd just be shooting by myself. My dad, I think, would hear that little rubber ball. Just and every now and then, real quietly, just come swat me and be like, ha, ah, gotcha. You're never going to beat me. And like, I'm like, ah, why can't I beat him? Like, it's just, it's tough, right? And that's like one of my favorite memories with my, my dad. And you can ask him if he uh, makes it to a service here. You can ask him about how he used to torment me with that little tykes basketball hoop. And then got one for me and, and my daughters. I'm like, I don't care if you're little girls. I'm going to swat that because my dad did it to me. Uh, builds character, right? Um, so that's my little fun story uh, of being raised in uh, West Virginia, right? Uh, born and raised, baby. All right, so Acts 23, we're continuing, and, and we've, for a few weeks now, we've, we've moved on to um, Paul's not going to any more missionary journeys. He's made it to Jerusalem. It was prophesied that he would run into some trouble, be bound, pretty much hogtied with his own belt. Um, not a fun situation to find yourself in. But regardless of the, the situation and the predicament that's presented itself to Paul that he's found himself in, he was faithful to go regardless because he had a message to carry and to take back to Jerusalem. So now he's, he's on trial, and we see uh, really here to the end of Acts, we're going to see Paul continue to be put on trial and to be questioned 
keeps giving the same testimony over and over because the testimony hasn't changed. But we see a lot of attributes and characteristics in Paul in these moments that we as Christians ought to um, exhibit in our own lives. That, that it, we should be showing the world, and especially our brothers, encouraging them. Hey, like I, I face persecution also. And, and no credit to myself, but by being faithful to God and obedient and yielding to the Holy Spirit as, as he directs us in our life, I've been able to overcome that persecution and not back down. And that's so important for, for Christians. And, and we live in a time where it's just like, hey, Christians, just swallow it, right? Like, just, just don't even chew it up. Just swallow what the world is going to tell you. And you don't get to, to tell us your opinion. We don't want to hear that. But Paul shows us that, that we shouldn't back down. Like, there's a sense of, like, chewing up what people are giving us and being like, I don't agree, it tastes terrible, but, like, for the sake of this conversation, I'll chew it up for you. But I'm not going to swallow it. I want to be faithful. And last week, we looked at, at Paul speaking the truth and how important it is for us to be courageous and, and speaking the truth and going forth and sharing the gospel, to, to just speak it. We need to be active in speaking the gospel. Not also, like, on offense going, but in defense, when people come to us and ask us about the truth that is within us, that we would share it faithfully, not backing down, courageously speaking the truth. So our main point today as we go through um, Acts 23 through 24 is be zealous for the truth. Kind of like a, a build off of an, on last week, but we want to be passionate for the truth. We don't just want to speak it, right? Um, like we don't just, uh, as, as Tony Marita says, we don't want to just examine the truth. We want to apply the truth, right? Amen, church? Like, like we don't just want to say like we, we believe in the truth. No, we want to be passionate. And when we are passionate about something, we'll really invest time in it. We'll really begin to live it out. So as Christians, we ought to be zealous, passionate for the truth, committed to everything that it entails. Before we go any further, church, let's just be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, you are a good father, and today uh, we come to you to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we thank you so much for being the example that we need as, as men to, to be fatherly, not just to our own children, but to be fatherly to, to creation, to care for the creation that you've given us dominion over. So God, we pray that we would be men, godly men, according to your word, not according to the world, but we would be godly men obeying your word and leading the world accordingly. God, I pray that we would lead our families well, our wives and our children in a godly way. And Father, we pray uh, this morning that you, our Father, would lead us by your Spirit through your Word. And I pray that as we, we read this text, that it would remind us of, of the characteristics and attributes that, that we now have because of the Spirit that now indwells us who believe. God, that we would take those attributes and take those characteristics and we would apply it to our life, being zealous for your word, being zealous for the truth, and going and preaching it and not backing down. Father God, we love you, we praise you, and we come to you this morning to exalt the name of Christ our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. So be zealous for the truth. I, I, I once had a, I, I've talked about this a little bit, and, and sometimes it feels like too much, but it's just so like, you know when something happens and you're just so dumbfounded that you're just like, you can't get rid of it. It's just stuck in your head. It's engraved forever. Um, meeting with a, a, another spiritual uh, leader is what, uh, probably the, the proper way to say it, a, a leader of a, a church uh, around the area, and we were meeting, and I just had a, a question, and 
um, I told him my view and how I, I thought, like, we need to exalt the Word of God because it teaches us everything that we need to know about God. It's how God's chosen to reveal himself to his people, amen? Like, we, we agree with that. So, so knowing that, then, then we should read this. We should love this. Why? Because we, we just love reading? No, because we love the creator of all things, the, the creator that's given us eyes to be able to read things, right? And, and this, this man looked me dead in the eyes, and he said, I'm starting to believe that you're idolizing God's word instead of God. And I was like, what? The only reason you know about God is because of his word, and someone told you that. Like, it was just beyond me. And I said, if you think that I'm idolizing it, Maybe it's a reflection and you need a mirror to realize the lack of love that you have for it. Because David says that, that when we taste and see that the Lord is good, we delight in this. I mean, we just do. And like that, that was just like one of those moments. It was like, duh, like I, I do love it, right? Like that's why we're all about expository preaching here is because there's just so much to go through. And we are to delight and love in it. We are to be zealous for the truth. And to do that, we ought to be fearless and faithful people. Those are going to be our two points to drive home being zealous for the truth. We need to be fearless and we need to be faithful. Point number one, fearless. We ought to be fearless people. Now, your, your uh, kids, if they're in elementary, uh, they're going to be learning about this, that their, their lesson goes along with this. And, and one thing that they're going to talk about is it's not wrong to be scared, Right? Like, naturally, like, we're scared in instances, right? But it's what you do with that. It's like I'm, I'm teaching Maylee how to express her emotions, right? So I can be scared going into a situation. But being scared to a point where I back down from sharing the gospel is now not being scared. It's being disobedient to the God who saved me and created me for his purpose and for his glory. So I've got to be careful in how I express this. So we as Christians, we've got to be fearless, Proverbs 19.21 says this. says, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So we've got many plans. And, and not only do we have many plans, every other man and woman alive has plans, right? Has aspirations of some kind. And, and they will go this way, that way, whatever way. But God is immutable. He doesn't change. And his plan is perfect. And it is his plan that will stand. So when we understand that, we can go into a, a scary situation, right, a difficult situation, a trying situation, and trust in the Lord, knowing that his plan and his will will be accomplished. Who will thwart the will of God, church? Not a soul. Not a soul will thwart the will of God. Now, that will lead to many other questions and maybe another sermon series on, like, well, then why does bad things happen? If, why do they happen if God is in complete control? And, again, that's for another time and another series. But God is faithful, and we are to be fearless and faithful in this walk. But be fearless because we rest in the plan of the Almighty God, not in the plans of man. Just trying to teach this to my kids, and I just think about, like, just the, the stark contrast between our, our children, right? Like, mainly if you blow a bubble at her and it gets too big, she thinks she might, like, get taken up in it and go away. Like, she's, like, really fearful. And then Ever is, like, almost, like, irrationally fearless, right? So, like, you don't want to be, like, so, like, you don't want to be, as, as uh, Gary would always remind me, like, the Calvinist that doesn't look both ways before he crosses the street because he's so sure of the will of God. Like, be responsible, right? There's that balance. But be fearless, too. Verse 12 in chapter 23, Paul is yet again facing another plot to kill him. And we see this 
here in verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had what, church? Killed Paul. There were more than 40 who had made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. I mean, can, can you, like, like, we should be able to pick up on this, right? Like, by this point, like, how crazy these plots against Paul are getting. Like, like Paul is simply sharing the gospel, right? Paul went from killing people, deserving death because he's killing people for believing in Jesus, to going and spreading the gospel, right, and preaching the truth. And they come up with all these lies and all these conspiracies against Paul. And there's going to be one thing that Paul says, hey, in the midst of all this, there's just a bucket of lies. There's, there's one thing that's true about Paul. He is zealous for the truth. So despite what he's going through, he's going to be fearless because the truth must continue. We shouldn't back down. Those who are persecuting us, church, need to hear the gospel the most in that moment. They need to hear it. So when we back down, all we're doing is saying, yes, you're right. My God isn't all-powerful. My God isn't immutable. My God, my God is, is, is not really what I say he is. Just spare my life. And then we go out and we just start going back down the back streets and just trying to quietly share the gospel. No, be Fearless, for God is in control. Many are the plans of man, but the will of the Lord stands. So despite what he's about to go through, they're, they're coming up with a case to kill him. They're, they're not eating food until they kill him. Like, this is, this is crazy. Verse 16. This is the sovereignty of God. This is by no chance, church. It says, now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Now, we obviously know that this is chapter 23 and goes to chapter 28, and we know the history with Paul. So I don't know like what happened to these guys if they starved to death or just gave in and broke the oath, but it is found out. And church, sometimes we, we like to look past the hand of God in these moments and be like, oh, little nephew saved my life, right? Like, like, he, he found out this plan, and, and he spared me my life. And, and when you read Esther, this is a good comparison back to the, the book of Esther, because you don't see God mentioned once, but church, we went through that series, and that's the story of the unknown king, 
not the kings we read of in Esther, but it is about the story of the one true king, our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose hand was all through there protecting and providing for his people. And when we understand that, when we understand the sovereignty of God, when we understand that his will cannot be thwarted, then we can then live fearlessly. Look, Paul, Paul didn't freak out. Let me tell you something. If, if I was told of a plan, I'd start trying to chew through chains, like every bit, right? Like I've got ancestors without teeth. Like it's fine. And we didn't lose them naturally. Like just things just happen. So like I'll just chew through chains to get out of here. Start to think irrationally. When, when a scary moment, when a trying moment presents itself, instead of trusting and resting in the providence of God and the sovereignty of God, we, we try and take things into our own hand. But Paul shows the believer right here what we ought to do. Calmly and collectively comes up with a plan. Calls one of the centurions, tells, take this young man, he's got something to tell him. Notice, Paul was careful, calm. I'd have been like, take this young man, he's got to tell you something, I'm going to get killed. And they'd be like, he's crazy, get rid of this kid, lock him up too, right? Calmly, collectively, fearlessly, church, continue on. Paul's showing us these characteristics that the believer ought to have and exemplify in our life. There's this plan. But this plan can't happen without Paul fearlessly trusting in the sovereignty of God. And then it happens. It says then in verse 23, Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen, I'm going to just pause real quick. It's like the lies continue, right? Like, no, he was going to beat Paul. I started beating Paul, ordered like the flogging, everything that happened with the, the high priest, Ananias. They're, they're leaving out details, right? Like Paul had to like spare his own life by sharing who he was, that he was a Roman citizen. So they didn't learn that by like any kind of inquiring. Paul had to spare his own life. Verse 28. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against him, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him uh, by night to the Antipatris. Um, and on the next day... They returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what, providence, what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. He commanded him to be guarded at Herod's uh, praetorium. So Paul is sent with a letter. Pretty much, hey, this is, this is why I sent him. There's some things going on. There's a plot to kill him. So this is the providence of God. You cannot miss this here. 
Like this is, this is someone who was just beating Paul. This is a group of people that were just mistreating Paul. But he says there, he says, we found nothing to charge him with, nothing he was being charged with deserved death or even imprisonment. But here he is, bound, right? And it says, I found that he was being accused and questioned of their law. Right? Like this is like an inside matter. So this will be a little small point, but, but church, when, when a brother or sister sins against you, don't take it to the higher courts. Not right away anyways, right? If there's an instance where that would need to happen, but, but man, we, we have to deal with things internally. Like the, the outside world knows too much about the church and like what's going on because we just, we, we want to run instead of dealing with it, right? And what I mean by that is that you're like, well, how are you all going to handle it? I mean, if a pastor's in sin and it's, he's not, it's not being taken care of, then we need to tell everybody, right? Like, we need to go to that brother. He doesn't repent. Then we take two or three. doesn't repent. And then we take him before the church. This is a serious matter. And literally what he says here is a great reminder for us as the church to handle these things internally because he says they're accusing him of questions of their own law, of their law, right? Not the law of the land, their own law. And I have found and seen that he should not deserve death or imprisonment. So Paul is sent, and his accusers are told to go to, hey, you all need to continue this trial elsewhere and figure it out there. Paul is living fearlessly in this moment, trusting in the sovereignty of God. He's sent with this letter from this man who was just beating him and ordering him to be beat, and is now continuing on. He's going to go before Felix at Caesarea, and he's going to show us the faithfulness that we believers should have. Point number two. So we're fearless when we understand the sovereignty of God. We're faithful when we understand the sovereignty of God, right? And, and those things, understanding sovereignty, understanding God's goodness, understanding who he is, comes from a zeal for the word, right? Like, if we don't have a passion for the word, then we do not have a passion to know God and who he is. Like, that may sound harsh, like, oh, I, I love God, and I just, sometimes I just, don't read. Well, listen to it, right? Like something's got to begin to change. And I'm not going to be the pastor that says you've got to go through the whole Bible in a year, right? But we've got to like get in the habit of reading this. There's, there's times where I just don't want to read it. But, but you're a pastor. You, you should want to read it. No, sometimes I don't want to read it. Sometimes my sinfulness wants to overtake me and keep me out of the Bible. Not for a moment, but for a day, for weeks, for months, church, since entering into ministry, I've read nothing but the passage we were going through. And shame on me for that. Because we ought to be investing our lives in the God who invested his life into us. Who came upon us and saved us. We didn't save ourselves. We didn't find merit with God or favor. He came into our broken, sinful state and rescued us. That's a God that should be desired. We should love it. We should be faithful to him. And it's tough. It's tough at times. It's tough when, when life gets difficult. But church, it's more difficult when we're isolated. That's why this, this gathering is important. That's why Friday, that's why Friday at the Summer Chill, that is important. That's why it's important that, that after, uh, after worship nights that we stick along and we fellowship with one another. If you're, if you're going to come, don't just come and just sing songs, but, but talk to the ones we're singing praises with. Ask them how their week is going. Fellowship will make faithfulness easier because there's accountability, because there's structure, because there's order. And God is an orderly God. Be faithful. 
And this is where we, we have to ask ourselves, do we, do we just believe and talk about the sovereignty of God? Do we just believe and talk about the goodness of God? Like Tony Morita, as I mentioned earlier, he talks about examination versus application. Like we examine the scriptures and we say God is good. God is faithful, right? We go and we tell people, hey, I know you're dealing with a very difficult time, but all things work together for the glory of God, for the purpose of him who calls and, and for the people who love him. We tell them that. We examine it, but we forget to apply it in our own lives, me included. So that's what we have to do. Where the rubber meets the road, it's not just examination, it's application also. It's not just being fearless, but it's also being faithful because we have a zeal for his word and we trust in the sovereignty and providence of God. Chapter 24, verse 1. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and spokesmen, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since... Through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. Like the lies. Like, there's, church, there's, there's no detail we're missing. It's not like the world can tell us, like, no, oh, I think Paul was a sneaky, sly guy doing some terrible things in, in the temple, and he was stirring up the riots. He wasn't. One of the, the riots started when he was already bound. Like, how do you, how's that getting started by him? Like, it's not like Paul's, like, yelling out anything other than the gospel. Hey, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Repent and believe. I mean, yeah, that'll get a riot going if you don't believe it, right? I, I, I guess maybe that is the case. But it's not in the way that they are saying it. They are speaking lies. And church, they will speak lies of us. When we go out and we stand on the truth, we are going to face those things. Like, there, there's a fine line here from the pulpit to say, um, you'll never experience uh, much uh, harm or anything here in the world, and, and really people won't hate you. Church, there's also the line to say, yeah, like, sometimes they will. I'm not saying you're going to go out and preach the gospel in Medina Square and get beaten, right? Pastor Mark can, can tell you stories just even recently. He's gone up with groups that are known to be violent, and they were nice, I mean, who's not nice to, to Pastor Mark when they see his dog, right? Like, you see his dog, and if you haven't seen his dog, I can tell because you, you would know because it sits up here, right? Pastor Mark's big like this and his little dog, right? Like, my dog's eight times his dog's size. He's also eight times my size, but um, we compensate, right? Like, I just, I got to get a bigger dog because I'm not big like this. People will not like everything that we do, and they will lie. Stirs up riots. He's, he's a plague, the Jews throughout the world, right? We, we could get into that world topic, by the way, too. Uh, the world, obviously, it wasn't in America. People were going nuts because of Paul at that point. Um, the Indians weren't over here like, ah, like I heard, heard the guardians. I'm, they, they weren't over here getting mad about, about what, what's going on. That's not the case. 
they're lying. They're saying he's a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes and profaned the temple, but we seize them. Oh, we saved the day, guys. They're lying. Matthew 5, 11, and 12 says this. This is Jesus here. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. We'll stay here for a second. On my account. That means when people don't like you and it's because you're preaching the gospel, Jesus is then saying you're blessed. Not not if you're just, we, we talk about this a lot, not if you're just the punk going out and just trying to shove things down. No, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So that means that we are to be active in preaching the gospel and taking it to people, defending it fearlessly and faithfully. And they won't always like us. But Jesus says we're blessed. Next verse. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They also went on to persecute our Lord and Savior, hanging him on a cross. Though they weren't taking his life, he was laying it down, should not be missed, that Christ suffered in our place. But church, we too, even if we don't suffer persecution from the enemy, our flesh suffers from the wages of sin of this world But one day, our body will be made new. We will be glorified, and we will unite with our Lord and Savior. When we have that in mind, when we have the gospel in mind, when we have the future, which matters the most, then living fearlessly and faithfully will begin to flow in our life. When we take our eyes off of worldly things, when we take our eyes off of the materialistic things. And what I mean by that is you can have materialistic things in your life. What I'm saying is what are our eyes focused on? Because we can even use material things to to leverage the gospel, to point people to the gospel. But how are we going to do that? How will we do that if our eyes are not yet focused on the cross of Christ and what he accomplished for us and the eternity that we have in him and him alone? Lies are spoken. It says in verse 9, the Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. Paul's already given his citizenship. They know where he's from, so he gets to speak. Verse 10, the governor nodded to him to speak. Paul replied, knowing that for many years you have been judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. I, I wish people would greet me like, like this, right? Like greeting one another. The, um, uh, Tertullus comes uh, to him and, and says, Uh, Since through you much peace, and since by your foresight most excellent Felix, reforms have been made through this nation. And then Paul starts out, and and he's he's acknowledging the authority that this man has. For many years, you have been judge over this nation. I cheerfully, cheerfully, he says, make my defense. Paul knows that the truth is going to come out. He says, verse 11, you can verify. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. So it's been a short amount of time for a few chapters. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Paul's saying nowhere, not only where they said, but not here nor there or anywhere. Verse 13, neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me, but this. Church, this is important. Paul's saying there's a bucket of crud that they're condemning me for. And within that bucket is some truth. And that's that the gospel is real and I will not back down. I'm fearfully, fearlessly 
and faithfully proclaiming to you right now what they're really mad about. But this, he says, I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, they call a cult, right? I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified, not defiled, purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they have found when I stood before the council other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. There's a bucket of lies, but one thing is true. I will preach the gospel till the day I die. See, Paul is, is fearlessly sharing this. He's faithfully sharing this. He's not just, just living it and, and just trying to like, hey, I'm going to be quiet, live a peaceful life. No, he's saying it. He says, hey, this could get me killed, but guess what? It is worth it to faithfully preach the gospel, to lay my life down for the gospel, for the God who laid his life down for me. Man. And it doesn't stop. Felix. We, we learned a little bit about Felix here in verse 22. Having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. So Felix knows a little bit about the way. It's Jesus, the Jesus way. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That guy, Jesus. Felix knew a little bit. Enough to say, hey, this guy's not what you all say he is. He's going to wait. He's going to wait a little bit more. Verse 23, he gives orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Felix knows, right? Felix knows the innocence of Paul here. He's, he's held, but he's got some liberty, right? It's like keeping him in like a, a nice big room. It, it's kind of like the, the place of prison for like celebrities, right? Like when I see online like this celebrity's going to prison, I'm like they're not going to prison, right? Like it's money laundering, the government was probably involved, everybody's involved, they're just putting them in a nice big room, right? Like Paul was bound for sure, but he had some liberty. He even was allowed to have his friends come to him. This is because Felix knows he's innocent, but they were so scared of the Jews and, and what they might do. Paul takes this opportunity to not shut his mouth, but to keep it open and keep it going, right? Like, this is, this is living fearlessly, right? Like me, I'd be like, ah, he's let me have my, my liberty. I'm, I'm helped. My friends can come. The, the other disciples can come and serve me and care for me. Paul doesn't stop. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul's sharing the gospel that they need to believe in Jesus by faith alone and Christ alone. And he reasoned in verse 25, and as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. 
When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. This is the depravity of man that they suppress the truth. Now, when, now, you're here this morning and you're a believer. You feel that conviction and you praise God for it because he's sanctifying you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you feel that conviction. You either repent and believe or you do what Felix did. And let me tell you, Felix will be separated for such a response to the gospel. When you feel that conviction, when, when we go out, church, and we feel fearlessly and faithfully proclaim the gospel, our prayer is that they don't do what Felix did. Our prayer, and for you this morning who don't know Christ as your Lord, that you would repent and believe in the gospel, surrendering your life to Christ. How do I do that? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. He suppressed it. Things got a little bit too uncomfortable, right? Like Paul's Paul's preaching some good things. Felix knows about the way rather accurately, it says in, in verse 22. But he hears this, talking about righteousness and self-control from, from this leader. Oh, no, leaders get, get power hungry. He sends him away, verse 26. And at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. He had that conviction, and he denied the gospel. He denied the truth for which Paul was zealous for. But guess what, church? He heard it. See, sometimes we, we don't live fearlessly and faithfully because we're afraid of the end result. How many Felixes have we run into? But when we, when we back down because we're afraid of rejection or afraid of despisal, like that, that people will just despise us, if that's even a word, despisal, despise, we'll get despised, despisal, disposal, whatever. From West Virginia, it happens. When we back down because of it, it's because we're not looking at the cross. It's because we're not considering the sovereignty and the providence of God. It's because we're considering the many plans of man not the will of God that will not be thwarted. Ben, you can come back up. I, I want to end here. Peter, uh, I talked about on Friday uh, for the devotion for worship night, this idea of suffering. And Peter talks all about suffering and how we ought to suffer for the sake of Christ. And 1 Peter 4, 19 says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, this word is important, entrust Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Church, we should not only believe or examine, we should apply. We should entrust our souls to God. Now, that's difficult if you don't believe in God. How can you entrust something to someone that you don't believe in? Like, if if you all invite me to be on your, like, softball team, and you don't entrust me to go out into the field, I'm going to say you don't believe in me. And you all are like, don't. Right? Like, I wouldn't pick you on my five-on-five pickup team because I don't believe in you. That's okay. But when it comes to the creator of all things, we, the church, to not entrust our souls to him, to not believe in him, to fearlessly and faithfully live because of our zeal for his word, it shows that this isn't our God. It shows that we are our God, and we are the ones that we think we, that are in control of the situation. But woe is me if I make myself and elevate myself above the sinful disposition in which I was born into. God is sanctifying me, sure. But it is by his power I'm being sanctified, and it is surely his power in which I was saved. We ought to be a people zealous for the truth, 
fearlessly and faithfully living for him who saved us. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, now would be the opportunity to not be like Felix, but hear the gospel message. We are born children of wrath by our sinful nature, our nature, and therefore separated from the Almighty God. We are in darkness. But the hope that we have is that Jesus, God in the flesh, came and bore our sin and imputed his righteousness to those who believe. So if you repent of your sin, that means turn away. That means count the cost. It means no more of that. Repent and believe. Scriptures say you will be saved. And you'll begin that new life now. And that new life will cause you to look at the cross each and every day and consider what Christ did. And when that is the focus, church, it will not be easy, but it will make sense to fearlessly and faithfully live for God with a zeal for his truth. Church, we've got to be passionate about the truth because it's the truth that saves. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, right? Like truth is important. And there's only one truth. There's only one way, one truth, one life, Jesus Christ. Repent and believe today in church. Let's glorify him accordingly because he has come into our life, because he has saved us. We have a mission to go do, to go and proclaim to all the world, both on offense and defense, with grace and peace, sharing the gospel without apology. Let's stand and sing and be in in an attitude of prayer this morning as we wrap up. Father, we praise you. Your word is good. Your word is true. And God, you are immutable. You are not changing. You are not moving. So God, we look to you. We long for you. We long for your coming back. For this world is broken. This world is decaying. It's, it's, it's facing so much just wrath. It's sending out wrath. But we look to you, our almighty. And we pray that you go before us in these situations. God, I pray that in those moments of difficulty, God, that we would pray to you earnestly for wisdom, to understand how to deal with the situation, being zealous for the truth and for the truth to go out. God, that your spirit would give us the fearlessness and faithfulness we need. God, that we would be obedient and we would yield to you. Father, we pray your blessing as we go out this week. We pray that you would just lead us and strengthen us together. God, I pray for for those who are missing this morning that you be with them. Give them safe travels. Grant them health and safety. And Lord, we pray uh, just for this week as well as we go out to be missionaries and then even to fellowship on Friday. God, that you would just grow us together and closer to you, growing that zeal for your word within us. Send us. Let us be your hands and feet this week and forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.